Uh, tonight and next week are the last two sessions of our class, Who Am I? How Your True Identity Changes Everything. So tonight we're thinking about how our identity in Christ is like wearing proper spectacles that um, show us the correct view of everything in our lives. And so we're going to cover everything in your life tonight. Um, no, that's not going to happen. Um, but yeah, just to sort of begin to get the sense of how our true identity in Christ is not just like this little category over here, like, oh yeah, okay, well today I'm going to think about who I am in Christ. No, it's like everything about you is impacted by this. And so that's kind of what we're going to think about tonight. The next week in our last session, Lord willing, we will uh, think through how we engage with a world, how do we engage with individuals who uh, don't know who they are. Uh, who have you know, misidentified themselves, have latched on to one little thing about themselves, and that's who they are. Uh, and so how do we compassionately, graciously, patiently show people that they are so much more than they think they are, uh, that God has given them far more value than they realize they have? And uh, it's actually a really fun message to take to people because uh, many in our world latch on to one little thing about themselves, and they think that's them, that's who they are. And it's just fun to be able to share with people, oh, you're so much more than that. You're loved and you're cared for. There's a God who made you and he designed you and he wants to be involved in your life and so on and so forth. So uh, anyway, that's next week. I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, so for tonight, uh, lesson 19, uh, quick review, looking back. These are way too small to read, but they're all up there. They're also in your notes. Uh, yeah, all these things that we've looked at together. Uh, last week, we looked at we're not defined primarily by my past, my desires, my feelings, or my body. So, you know, we have an earthly body through this life. We have both sinful desires and then spirit-influenced desires. Um, all these things are part of who we are, but that's not primarily our identity. Our identity is first and foremost who we are in Christ. And then that shapes everything else, and so that leads us well into tonight. So here's kind of our theme for tonight. In Christ, I find true purpose uh, for myself, my circumstances, my roles, and relationships. So building off kind of a premise from a previous week, here's, a, here's an opening statement, okay? So to glorify himself, God is working both in me and through me. For, for whatever kind reason from God, he has chosen to use us in his task, his mission for the world, to bring people to salvation in Christ. He's chosen to use us, to, to work through us. It's like, it's like Jesus on the shore with the disciples when they're casting on the one side of the boat and they're catching nothing. And Jesus says, okay, cast on the other side. And they cast and they catch 153 fish. And they, you know, Jesus says, okay, now bring it to shore. And they bring it to shore. Okay, now drag it on shore. Bring some to breakfast. And he says to them, bring some of the fish you caught to breakfast. Like, well, technically, okay, yes, they were holding the net, but, you know, this is really the Lord's work. But how kind of him, he involves us. He Let's us participate in the catching of fish, so to speak, metaphorically now, in the world, in the lost world, as we seek to win people to Christ. He involves us in that process. It's pretty cool. We get to participate. Um, and so he's at work through me. That's that half. 
But the other half of that, we know that he's at work in me. He's changing me. And so I want to begin with these two things because our identity in Christ proves these things to be true. Because I am in Christ, I know that God's working in me. And because I'm in Christ, I know that he's working through me. I'm part of his task on the earth. So let's camp here for these first two points. First of all, what is God's purpose in me? God's purpose in me is to make me more like His Son. We use a bunch of different phrases for this in Christianity. Transformed into His image, into His likeness, from glory to glory, so reflecting His glory. There's a number of phrases we use, but we want to be conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, So let's read two verses here. Would somebody read Romans 8.29? And then, okay, Jim, and then somebody else, Colossians 1.28. Okay, Janae, thank you. Romans 8.29 and Colossians 1.28. Jim, whenever you're ready. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Okay, so this is a passage we often latch on to. God works all things together for good, right? We latch on to that part of the verse. But uh, part of the context here is that he's, it's part of our salvation. And so the very same ones that God called and predestined and justified and sanctified and glorified. So the saved, what's the purpose? That they might be conformed to the image of his Son. So that's, that's the key in all this process. And it will be fully completed when we're glorified. Now, we don't fully disappear. I think, you know, in our glorified bodies, we'll still be able to recognize one another. Um, but we will have fully taken on the character traits of Christ and uh, that sin, sinless condition. So conform to his image. Colossians 1.28, Janae. Okay, that we present everyone mature in Christ. So Paul's whole purpose for preaching the word was that people would grow in their maturity in Christ, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. So God's purpose in me is to make me more like his son. Okay, so this helps me, because I'm in Christ, I know that's what God is always doing in me. Now let's think about God's purpose through me. God's purpose through me is to show the world that Jesus is the Savior. It's kind of fun because the more I look like Christ, the more I'm able to do that in my context, to show the world what Jesus is like and that he's truly the Savior that God sent. Now let's all go together to these two passages. Let's go first to John chapter 17. You may remember studying this a few weeks ago. This is Jesus' prayer to the Father in the presence of his disciples. And there are a few really significant things that Jesus prays here. So we come down to John 17, verse 15. And Jesus is praying for the disciples standing there right now. So at this point, it's the 11. And he's praying for them, and he's talking to the Father, and he says this in verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Let's just pause and catch what Jesus is saying there. He actually tells the Father, I don't want you to remove them from the earth. I want them to stay. Why would he say that? Well, it's really important. He goes on to say it's because they're no longer of the world. Their identity has changed. They're now in Christ. And so just like Jesus is not from the world, they're also not from the world. So part of their identity change means now that they're not sourced in the world any longer. They're in Christ. So the logical solution might be, well, let's just all go right to heaven. But Jesus says, I want them to stay and I want them to be sanctified or set apart for a purpose. And he actually says in verse 18, in the same way that Jesus was sent, these disciples are going to be sent. What are they supposed to do? What's their purpose? Well, I think it's to show the world that Jesus is the Savior. It's the same thing Jesus was doing. He was declaring to the world, I'm the Savior that the Father sent. And now the disciples who are like Jesus, not from this world anymore, have the same mission to show the world that Jesus is the Savior that God sent. Let's see if this rings true for us today. Notice verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, speaking about these 11, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me, guys. He's praying for us here in verse 20. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Okay, so notice how the first half of verse 21 is describing basically what we've been talking about this whole class on identity. What's the foundation of our new identity? We are in Christ That's what he describes in verse 21, that they may be one as I am in you and you in me and they in me. Get lost in all of these ins, but the point is we're united to him. So our identity is being united to Christ. What does that lead to in verse 21? That the world may believe that you sent me. So Jesus' purpose for us, for uniting us to himself, is to continue to declare to the world that Jesus is the Savior that God sent. Okay? He goes on and says this in uh, similar words as he continues on. The glory which you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfect in one, and again, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So here's our mission, right? We're united to Christ so we can show the world that Jesus is the Savior that God sent. Pretty cool. So God's work in us is to make us like his son. God's work through us is to declare to the world that Jesus is the savior that God sent. And just like Jesus, we're not from the world anymore. We've had an identity change. (laughs) We're now in Christ. And this is our new purpose to show the world that Jesus is the savior. Okay, so here is, that's our, that's our new purpose with our new identity. And it affects everything in our lives. Myself, the way I view myself, my circumstances, my roles, and my relationships. So if you turn to the next page, you've got a chart there. And I don't think we're going to take the time to fill in every, every box tonight. It's going to be a fun activity to finish on your own. 
But I want to think through how our identity in Christ and our new purpose changes the way we view every little aspect of our lives. So let's begin with ourselves, the way we view ourselves. We all have personality, right? Uh, even little children. It's fun when you, you, know, you, you watch a little kid in the church and uh, some, somewhere before about one year old, you start to see their personality come out. It's a fun question to ask parents. What are you noticing about their personality? You know, well, they're shy or they're, they're really, they love being with people or, you know, whatever. You start to see little traits about them. Now, before Christ, this is pretty foundational to who we are. But now in Christ, it takes on a different shape. Now we see the purpose of our personality in two categories. So what might God's purpose be with my personality as he works in me? What is God doing in me with my personality? Just, and we'll, we'll have a lot of discussion through these boxes, so feel free to speak out loud. What might God be doing in me through my personality? Molly. On self, we focus on him instead of thinking worshiping, so to speak, ourselves. Yeah. Pleasing ourselves, yes. our own desires. Now we seek to please and honor him. Yeah, that's right. So we're not focused on myself. Sometimes, you know, without Christ, we might see our personality as like the archetype personality, you know, like if only everybody could have a personality like me. But now that we're in Christ, we begin to see, oh, I've got some rough edges to my personality that need to be refined over here. I've got some strengths that maybe they're too strong and need to be pulled back a little bit. I've got some weaknesses that need to be shored up. And God is working all those things in me. So my personality becomes something that God is still forming and shaping by his power into the image of Christ. Now, we don't ever completely disappear in that process. At least I don't think we do. You, you still see uh, the distinctions between Paul and John and Peter, for instance, all through the New Testament, right? They don't lose their personality distinctions, but we become what I like to think of as the spirit-filled version of ourselves. Uh, and so God works in us to refine our personalities. So we don't worship our personalities. Uh, we let God shape them and change them. He has a purpose with my personality. So now here's a question in the other category. How might God want to work through me in regards to my personality? Yeah, Larry. Good. So, so finding others with my strengths or weaknesses, and we can it's kind of iron sharpens iron sort of perspective. Yes. Yeah, so to help others grow. Good. What else? Yeah, Maria. Okay. Yeah, surrendering. Just surrendering my personality to the Lord. Is that what you mean? Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. Good. So that might be something God works in me, and then as I do that, it might be a good testimony for others. Of, uh, of something they could do as well. Good. Yeah, Michael. Um, as I change from my old ways to my new ways, uh, or to the way that Christ is working through me, others will see his work. As far as, like, I could be angry, 
Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. So people see your progress, see your change, and notice that God's at work. Hey, what happened in your life? You're different, right? What a testimony to God's work. Here's another way that I thought of, right? We all have different personality strengths and weaknesses, and you've maybe noticed that that helps us in connecting with certain people. Um, Some relationships click, other relationships don't. And so I can see God working through your personality in the sense that he has people that you are uniquely equipped to connect with, that the person sitting next to you couldn't connect with, or not as well at least, right? And so God sort of built us that way, that we can make connections with people that, you know, have similar personalities or or understand us or click with us better than others do. And so there may be people out there that God wants to work through your specific personality to reach them. And so your personality actually becomes a tool in God's hands to show Christ uh, to someone else. So pretty cool, right? So we don't worship these things about ourselves, but we see how God can use these things both to make us more like Christ and to minister to others. Okay, so that's personality. Uh, What are you supposed to put in those boxes? Whatever you want, okay? So whatever you just took away from that whole discussion There's no correct answer, right? So there's nothing more on the PowerPoint. This is going to irk some of you. Uh, You're looking for, like, the word you're supposed to put in there. There's not one. So whatever you gleaned from what we just discussed, you jot that down in that tiny little box there. Yes, Maria? Do we catch what? Oh. Okay. Intellect. No, no, no. We're still, on, we're, uh-oh, we're still at the beginning. <laughs> Just personality. Yeah, yeah. Just personality. Right. Good. Okay, so let's do another one with ourselves, and then we'll move on to our circumstances. Um, let's see. Let's do, let's skip down to, okay. I will mention briefly strengths and weaknesses, and then we'll discuss abilities and disabilities. So strengths and weaknesses, right? How does God use those in me? Well, as I see my strengths and weaknesses on the strength side, I don't worship myself. I give glory to God. I thank Him, right, for the ways He's at work in me. The weaknesses, again, I I don't have to despair about those things. I know that God can work through my weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. In fact, He's often glorified even more when it's clear that the power wasn't from me, it was from someone else. So uh, God can use those in me to grow me, and God can work through my strength. And So again, it's another example. We don't worship ourselves. We instead see the purpose that God has for both our strengths and weaknesses. Our intellect. Again, this is not something we worship. How smart I am or how unsmart I am or whatever term you want to use for that. Sometimes we get this, we develop this complex in ourselves. We identify ourselves, I'm a smart person, or I'm I'm not a smart person. Everybody's smarter than me, or whatever, right? But think about it for a second. This is not, we're not worshiping what we are or aren't. This all becomes tools in God's hands to use. So whatever my intellect is, God's going to work through that in me, and he's going to work through that in the lives of others. He can use it. He can use it. That's pretty cool. So wherever my intellect is at, I have purpose, and God can use me in others' lives. So we didn't get real specific with those two. Let's think about abilities and disabilities. So let's ask first that question. So when I talk about these things, things I can do and things I can't do, right? 
And disabilities can even, even uh, go into the realm of physical handicaps that some of us have. And just, there are certain things we can't do. Uh, so how do we process abilities and disabilities? How might God fulfill his purpose with abilities and disabilities in me? What do you think? Yeah, Deanne. Right. Yeah, so teaches a person to rely on God. And the way Moses, you know, learned to do that, God sort of instructed him, <laughs> Moses, you're going to have to depend on me. I made your mouth. I know it's weak. You know, you're going to have to depend on me. Um, yeah, and a great present-day example, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata and her disability and the way she's learned to depend on the Lord and, and ultimately use that uh, for good. Yeah, what else? Just like with strength and, strengths and weaknesses, not to overvalue our abilities or to make the disabilities more severe than they, you know, to use that as a, as a barrier that, well, I can't do. I mean, and like you said, some of the, I mean, there is just some point blank things we can't do. If you're bound to a wheelchair, you can't walk. Right. Unless the Lord makes you walk, you know. Right. But, but I mean, but that doesn't mean you can't witness to people be useful in God's hands. It's just right. thinking about that differently. Yep. So. Yeah, it's good. So with our identity in Christ, all of a sudden, both my abilities and disabilities have purpose. So, so God's using, hopefully, my abilities. We, actually, we struggle more with the abilities, I think, than we do with the disabilities because we have confidence in our abilities. But God can use even my abilities to make me more like Jesus inwardly. And he often does that with our disabilities, the limits that we have to show me, oh, I'm not the savior of the world. <laughs> I have to sleep at night, <laughs> right? We have limits. And so these things stretch us. These things refine us and make us more like Jesus. Then we think about how God can work through us. And you began to mention some of those things. Well, certainly our abilities, you know, that one's easier to think about, right? So if somebody can play the piano, they could do that for God's glory, right? And play a song that might encourage somebody. That's, that's great. God can also work through our disabilities. Even those have purpose. Not just to sanctify me, but even to minister to other people, right? So let's dig into that one a little bit. How might God use a disability to accomplish his purpose, to show the world that Jesus is the Savior. Most are often more compassionate to help others that are suffering and they'll give them a hearing. Yes. Somebody that's healthy and lively and can do everything and yes. Exactly, yes. So when we've gone through something hard, we're often ready to help others who might be facing that too. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 1. With the comfort with which we've been comforted by God, we comfort others, right? And so as God works in our lives through certain things, 
we have the opportunity to help others who might be going through that as well. And we're, we, you know, whatever our unique you know, limit is or disability is, we have the unique opportunity to connect with people who might be facing something similar. We can understand, we can minister, we can talk to them. So, yeah, God, suddenly God can use these things with great purpose. Pretty cool. All right, so that's sort of looking at ourselves. Personalities, strengths, weaknesses, intellect, abilities, disabilities. They're not things that we are meant to worship or to make all of who we are, but they become tools in God's hands that He can use for good, both in me to make me like Jesus and through me to show the world that Jesus is the Savior. Pretty cool. They don't just disappear. They don't just go away. God sort of redeems them and begins to do good things through those things, even if in and of themselves, they're not good things. Okay, great. Let's go on to our circumstances. Uh, we have a number of uh, interesting ones here. People use to identify themselves or talk about their situation. So my upbringing, the kind of home you were raised in. Okay, so um, uh, this has a genuine impact. We, you know, at the beginning of the course, we talked about this as an influencer. It has influenced who you are when you come to Christ. Uh, you can't ignore the fact that how you were raised had an impact on you, right? Uh, and so it certainly does. Um, but it's also not everything about us, is it? And so in Christ, there becomes this even purpose to our background, our upbringing. How might God use our upbringing in us, okay? What, what might be his purpose? How might he use that in us to accomplish his purpose? Make me more like his son. Yeah. Not everybody has this, but I just thank the Lord that I grew up in a family that mom and dad took us to church. Okay. Right? When yeah. The doors were open, we were there. And I'm saying that's only a part of Christianity, but... You go anyplace else, if you didn't have that, you don't have a capacity and a background of the Word of God or whatever. So, yeah. I'm very thankful. Yeah, yeah. So, in your case, yeah, right. So, God has very much used that in your positive formation uh, to have that foundation in Scripture and in presence in church on a regular basis. So, to, to begin to form Christ in you in those ways. Excellent. What else? Yeah, Jim. Right. ways than one, in, in, right. so to speak, you know, and right. so that even though there was that gap or that thing that was missing, right. uh, the Lord, you know, those people were drawn to the Lord because of that. So. Right, yes, yes, so both growing up in a Christian home can have great benefit and draw us to the Lord, but both realizing what we were missing can be part of what draws us to the Lord, and so in both cases, God can use however we were raised to make us more like Jesus. That's what's so cool about this, right? So there's like no style of upbringing that's excluded. God can use whatever kind of upbringing you had, however broken, however whole, to make you more like Jesus. And in Christ, that's what happens with our past. He redeems it. And we look back and we say, wow, I'm thankful 
I've been forgiven for those things. I'm thankful that Christ has now used that in my life to shape me and to form me and to change me and so on and so forth, right? So, yeah, pretty cool. Uh, And then, you know, again, uh, how God can use that through us. We sort of hit on this to to some degree, but connecting with others who can relate to the same background I had. Right? Been through a similar scenario, whether it's you know, no father in the home, like you were mentioning, Jim, or something like that that I faced growing up, um, to be able to relate compassionately and to show them there's real hope in Christ. I found it. Let me tell you how you can find it as well. Uh, so God has a purpose even for those things. Okay, what becomes of our nationality or ethnicity? It's a big one today. Right? What becomes of our nationality or ethnicity when we are in Christ? If, that be, if that's our new identity, what purpose does our nationality or ethnicity play in, in us and through us? Yeah, Deanne. <laughs> okay, yeah. So it's no longer our primary identity, is it? Is it? Right, right. So we... Yeah, right, right. So we have siblings of all nationalities and all ethnicities all over the world. Revelation makes that clear. How many times does it say, you have redeemed us from every tribe and tongue and nation and people, right? Pretty cool. Yes, good. Other thoughts? What happens to our nationality or ethnicity when we are in Christ? And how might God use that in me? And how might he use it through me? Yeah, Maria. It, it, uh, I was thinking it shows that we are here just passing by, no matter what nationality. Mm-hmm. Because when you are going to another country, you're just passing by. And we're living on earth just passing by because our destination is in mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Right. That's right. Jesus is the Savior. We're passing through. We're looking forward to heaven. So, so God uses that in us to sanctify us, to put our hope in heaven, so on and so forth. Good. Yeah, Tony. does, yeah. Shapes the way we understand and apply scripture, different cultures, different contexts, different, uh, different upbringings. And so that begins, to, now we begin to get into how it's working through us because it really is true that um, it'd be interesting to hear Andrew talk about this a little bit, but when we take the gospel to people of other nationalities or ethnicities, there are more barriers than with someone of the same nationality and ethnicity. I mean, it's just, just his life, right? Language is an easy example. There's nothing right or wrong about it. It's just oftentimes they speak a different language. So, you know, there's going to be a challenge there, right? And so that's a way that God can actually use our nationality or ethnicity for the sake of the gospel. Who can I reach because I have this ethnic background? Who can I reach because I have this nationality? 
Can you think of an example in, in the Bible of somebody using their nationality or ethnicity to further the gospel? I heard something over here. Okay, what are you thinking of? Right, right. So he was, you know, being thrown in prison. He's like, oh, I'm a Roman citizen, right? And his purpose was not just to escape prison, but to further the gospel. And even, it's interesting, the commentary in Acts on that is that Paul had the opportunity to stand before kings, right? To stand before even eventually Caesar and present the gospel using his nationality for the sake of the gospel. So these things, ethnicity, nationality, they don't, they don't just disappear and go away, but there are ways we can use those things to show the world that Jesus is the Savior that God sent. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. So they don't just disappear. They don't become nothing. They become, again, tools in God's hands. How can God use me as an American with, of uh, Western European descent, whatever, some mix of who knows what, right? How can God use my nationality, my ethnicity to further the gospel? This becomes the way we begin to think about these things. Pretty cool. Yeah, Scott. I think there's also something to having multiple cultures reading the same Bible. Yeah. Um, it kind of helps to clarify. Uh, my dad, for instance, he's done a lot of work with South African pastors and built a lot of deeper relationships over there. And it really helps to clarify, at least it has hearing him, his experiences, clarify, okay, this practice, not bad, but it is a cultural difference between us that they would do this, we would not do that. Right. Um, and in my dad's case, he's even learned a few things from them that he would never th- have thought of in our culture, but he learned that like the variety in cultures in interpreting scripture helps to yes. consider things that we may have blinders on. That's exactly right. There's so much health in interacting with other cultures and how they interpret Scripture. And Tony, you were kind of alluding to that earlier. It begins to open our eyes. Oh, wait, the American interpretation of this may not be the right one? Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, and we need that. We need that because heaven is not American. It's not. Thankfully. Pretty cool. Good. All right, so uh, continuing on, we're going to have to move quickly. Uh, Let me just breeze through education and status. So again, these are all things that we can over-identify ourselves with. Kind of worship is the term I've been using tonight. Um, We can worship our nationality or ethnicity. We can worship our education, our learning, the degrees we have, right? Uh, Or the lack of degrees we have. We can feel like we're way down here because everybody else you know, graduated from college and I didn't or whatever, right? We're overemphasizing these things about us. But in both cases, God can use that in me and God can use that through me. And so we keep our eyes on our purpose. Pretty cool. Status, right? So uh, there is a degree of this in the United States. It's far stronger in other countries, but... um, your status in society, so there are different classes. Some of that has to do with finances, how much you make. Some of that has to do with the type of job you have. Uh, any number of things uh, that can go into that. Um, 
Is that something I worship about myself? Is that something that I highlight or that I'm embarrassed about? Or instead, is it something that I'm trusting that God, because I'm now in Christ, and that's primarily who I am, God's now using my status, whatever it is, to make me more like Jesus and to show the world that Jesus is the Savior that God sent. How can I leverage this for the gospel? Okay, so that has to do with our circumstances. Let's go on to roles and relationships. I've listed a bunch of things here. None of them are going to apply to all of you. Um, but we have all sorts of roles and relationships in this life. Son, you might be a son or daughter. Well, actually, everybody is. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of the two. You might be a husband or a wife. You might be a father or a mother. You might be an employee or an employer. You might be a student or a teacher. You might be a neighbor, a friend, or a church member. Each of these can be overemphasized or underemphasized, can be, can be worshipped in ways. Have you ever asked, uh, paused to ask yourself, uh, why am I a husband? Or why am I a wife? Why am I a father? Why am I a mother? And it's more complex than just the answer, well, I'm married or I have children. Um, why? Why would God bring that into your life? Why is that a part of who you are? Well, he's using it in you to make you more like Jesus. That's the reason. Do you know that's the purpose of marriage? <laughs> to make you more like Jesus? It's the reason we have families. That's the reason, I mean, you name it. God's at work in me to make me more like Jesus. Um, how's he using that through you, right? What influence do you have in those roles? Uh, are great questions to begin to ask as son and daughter, as husband or wife, as father or mother. Are, you know, how, how is God going to work through me to show the people in these relationships that Jesus is the Savior that God sent? Um, so it, again, it changes the way we see these things. They're not who we are. They're just places that God has put us to fulfill our purpose, for Him to make me like Jesus and to show the world that Jesus is the Savior. Uh, and this is so helpful because even these relationships can change during this life. And, you know, some of them will change during this life. And certainly will change in eternity, right? There's no marriage in heaven. So, again, it's not part of the core of who we are, but it's a really important part of who we are on this earth and how God wants us to accomplish our purpose in Christ. So uh, let's skip down to, let's do neighbor, because that's one that hopefully we can all relate to. How might God use your role as a neighbor to work in you, to fulfill his purpose in you, and to fulfill his purpose through you? What ideas do you have? More than one person, there's differences of opinions, you know, different actions that may, could offend you if you let them, things like that. Yeah, yeah, so there's conflicts, personality issues, challenges, testing of our patience, uh, which if we will yield to God's work in us can produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness so that God grows us to be more like Jesus, right? 
Good. So God definitely wants to use your neighbors to make you more like Jesus. Aren't you glad? What else? Yeah, Janae. Yes, right, right. So we're kind of always, always a neighbor, aren't we? <laughs> so thinking of others and serving others and seeing how God can fulfill his purpose in me as a neighbor to people around me all the time, that I can show what Jesus is like and that he's really the Savior. So, yeah, excellent. So this is why we have neighbors. There's a reason. They don't just happen to live there. God has you in a specific neighborhood for a reason. It's to make you more like Jesus and so that you can show the people around you that Jesus is the Savior of the world. That's why you're there. That's why you're still on the earth. That's why Jesus prayed for you in John 17. That's why he asked the Father to leave you here, even though you're not from the world anymore, so that he could make you like him, and that you could show the world that Jesus is the Savior. And this plays out in every one of your circumstances, your relationships, your joys, your struggles. It's all about this, because you're in Christ, and this is what He's doing. Kind of fun to think about everything through those lenses. All right, in our last uh, two minutes here, I want to explain the chart on the last page. Um, I didn't intend to go through this tonight, so we won't, but um, this is an expanded version. There's a book called um, Gospel Identity, which I'd be happy to uh, show you or share with you. It's kind of a, I don't know, small group study, so it's not really a book you read, but uh, they have a little chart that's kind of helpful, how the gospel helps us see ourselves differently, our circumstances, and so forth. Uh, And so I played out three categories. The two columns, a small view of my sin or a small view of the gospel, are sort of two ditches that we can get into uh, in life. Where on the one hand, I don't think my sin's a very big deal. Or on the other hand, I really don't think what God did through Christ is that big of a deal. And so you can kind of see how that plays out in different categories of life. It'll affect the way that I view myself. It'll affect the way I view others, how my heart responds to life and so forth. And then the final column, a full view of the gospel and my identity in Christ, should shape how I respond in each of these situations. So for fun, on your own time, read through that and see how it prods your your thinking. My goal is that you begin to see how a right understanding of the gospel and who we are in Christ really changes the way we interact with just about everything in life. And that when I'm off, I don't want to forgive somebody, or I'm frustrated with this person, it's a gospel identity issue. So the chart might help you see those connections. We can't get into it tonight, but enjoy looking through that. If you have questions, I'd love to talk to you further about it. Uh, Kind of interesting stuff. All right, let me close in prayer and I'll let you go. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. You you, you redeem everything about us. 
our weaknesses, our strengths. You have purpose for us. We have a reason that we're here. And so thank you that you're making us into the image of your Son and that you're using us to show the world that Jesus is the Savior that you sent. And so help us, Lord. We, we submit to you. Use everything in our lives for your glory. Uh, help us to see our purpose and fulfill it uh, because you've placed us in Christ. And we pray in his precious name. Amen.